clicked it. Oh, that's too low. Is that better? I can't tell. Why does my whatever my you had it set on last time was perfect. I don't know what I had it set on last time. Well, you need to write these things down. There's no writing it down. It's a wheel. There's no numbers or anything. Really? Yeah, it's just it is. Oh no, there are numbers. I just never noticed. <laughs> Very good. Uh, well, whatever you had it said on last time, you didn't like this story? It's a good story. I didn't like it. I thought it was so similar to last week's that I was like, there's no way you're not going to like this story. Last week's didn't have, like, almost rape in it. Last week's, though, had a person's... Last week, the woman died. Yeah. <laughs> That's worse than not dying. Incorrect. <laughs> <laughs> the sexual politics in this story are weird, and we'll get to that because it has like a, a, sw a switcheroo, seduction, assault, I haha, I stole your leg ending. And it's all about identity and liberation and intelligence, and it's all over the place. I didn't like it. I liked it it reinforced everything i believe about the world i'm kidding i'm kidding <laughs> i thought it was a good story and i thought it was well written and it definitely has a place in literature i'm not gonna read it ever again you're not gonna read it ever again no, uh I it wasn't I until hadn't. i was it wasn't until i was sitting and reading this story for like the second or third time that i was like I think I've read this story before. Uh, and I flashed back to having, I believe, having read it in like high school. Not for a class, but like on the recommendation of someone. Like you want a weird story, read this. And not realizing it until like the second or third time I was reading it. And I was like, that artificial leg ending, I've read, I have read mm -hmm. this before. Uh, either that or someone just told me about it. In any case, who are you and who am I? I'm Willow. And I'm Phil, and, and it's Del Toro, Toro time. time. What, what a weird... Happening? That was odd. That was off. That was strange. Uh, what is a ventriloquist dummy? Not whatever you sent me. What is a ventriloquist dummy? I do want to show what... Uh, so I try... I, because I'm a dork, I entered into... Uh, I, I needed a picture of people hugging in an emergency room for work or like a, and so I, I, but I also wanted to be a little sneaky, a little cheeky. And I wanted a ventriloquist dummy <laughs> hiding in the background. And so I entered into the, into the prompt, people hugging in a hospital waiting room. Also, there's a little ventriloquist dummy in the background, barely perceptible. And instead I got this like <laughs> horror show. I don't know what, Mid-Journey thinks a ventriloquist dummy is. <laughs> but whatever it thinks, it's this is not a ventriloquist. None of these are ventriloquist. Which of these four do you think are the most ventriloquist <laughs> dummies? None. Zero. We have... Maybe, I think the the one next to that one. We have Cenobite Dad, who has a, 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 a nice suit on. And pie have... in his pocket. He does. We have Skin Puppet, a puppet made of skin. We have Skinless Bear. We have Five Nights at Freddy's if instead of animatronics it was skin. Right. A skin, yeah. A skinned Five Nights at Freddy's. And we have, a, like, I don't know, like, 
the White Witch. We or uh, just uh, what's her face who played uh, who played the White Witch in the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe movie. So <laughs> I can't think of her name. We have a Tim Burton character brought to life. <laughs> right, uh, uh, as opposed to all the other Tim Burton characters who've been brought to life because he does he does live action movies. We have a stop motion <laughs> animation. <laughs> Right, probably. Uh, the little boy, she's comforting. Uh, I love that his sleeve is ripped in some way. I love that it's like something. His sleeve isn't ripped. Place. He's wearing like a band. But none of these people in the waiting room seem concerned by any of these monstrosities. In fact, they seem downright pleased. To be fair, it is AI, and it is AI. It doesn't know anything. Uh, there's too many hands. There's a weird number of fingers. AI. In any case, we're not talking about that, but I was uh, I was amused and delighted by what happened with those with those characters. Um, what are we talking about? We're talking about good country people. By Flannery O'Connor. The big F herself, Flannery Stop O'Connor. Calling her that. <laughs> the big F. We love her. That's what she. That's what her friends and uh, relations called her. <laughs> Here comes the big F. They would say. Um, Flannery O'Connor. Do you know anything about Miss Flannery, Ms. Bananary O'Connor? No. Did you know that she that she she lived in a place called Milledgeville, which that is like the most. That sound real. Uh yeah, so she was born in 1925. She died in 1964. So like she died at the age of 39, I believe, of lupus. Was it lupus? Something like, yeah, yeah, um, which like totally just slowly over her life, like made it so that she couldn't walk. She had all kinds of health problems, uh, but she was the writer of Southern Gothic. Obviously, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, she her first published stories, which you can read her first six published stories uh, were were uh, the geranium and a bunch of like. She has some short stories whose like works I can't say out loud, whose like mm-hmm. titles I can't say out loud because they have questionable words in them. But uh but the geranium, the barber, wildcat, the crop, the turkey and the train. And those six stories were actually written as her thesis for uh for her her like degree. Like mm-hmm. she she got a a, a degree in in writing. And those first six stories uh, were I'm trying to find the name of the place where she where she studied, though, because that's that is vital to understanding the way she writes Um, her education was at God dang it. This is she had quite a life. Um, The Iowa Writers Workshop. That's what it was. Iowa Writers Workshop. Uh, which is a which is a master's program in Iowa, mm-hmm. and it influenced the writing of a lot of very famous writers in the 20th century. A lot of what you think of like early to mid 20th century writing came from the Iowa Writers Workshop, mm-hmm. and part of the influence of that, especially in her earlier works, can be seen in the fact that. They teach you to write about characters without in any way judging the characters. You just sort of so supposed to write about them. 
Uh, even if you're presenting their point of view, it's just supposed to be, these are these people. Take them or leave them. So a lot of her early writing, especially, was about pretty loathsome people. But also it makes it hard to read now because you're like, these people are like viciously racist. Is she mm -hmm. viciously racist? And you're like, well, no, because, I mean, she was because she was raised <laughs> in the South. Like, she's from the South. But, uh, but it's just because she was like, here they are, warts and all. You figure them out. And so the, the N-word appears quite a bit in her earlier works. Um, throughout her works, but especially in her earlier works. You read the geranium and it's just like your skin starts melting off. Like just how like unlikable the protagonist is. Uh, I mean, he's not a happy man, but he's not likable. So that so kind of what carries... what saying is that I shouldn't read any more of her writing. <laughs> <laughs> I mean... It's fa from a from a creative writing standpoint, it's fantastic. You're like, wow, these are her earlier writings, and it's just like, oh my god, like she was really working with something. What's interesting is at the end of her writing career, at the end of her life, she rewrote her first story, The Geranium. Uh, like, so if you want to see how far a, a writer has come, like just on their outlook, the way they write. There's, I can't, she re, it has a different title, but it is the same basic story of a, of a man from the South who's moved to New York City by his daughter and just the culture shock and how he just, he cannot handle it. Like being around, it's just, it's like this culture shock. Um, I just can't so, yeah. stand reading about characters that I hate. <laughs> right. It's hard. It's hard. But that's what she's doing. She's painting a picture of the South, uh, uh, warts and all. And it's it's hard to read at times. Why is my phone ringing? Oh, it's my alarm. It says record with Willow. <laughs> so uh, uh, I think we're doing that. So this story, though, um, came much later in her her career. I say much later. I mean, she didn't live very long. It came in 1955. Uh, as opposed to like the beginning of her writing career, which was... Uh, which was nineteen fifty two. Like nineteen fifty, like the late forties, the early fifties. Yeah, nineteen forty six was when her first stories were written, but uh but the the early the yeah, nineteen fifty five was when a good man is hard to find came out and that's when people like really noticed her. So this is that's where this story was first published, nineteen fifty five. Um, I won't tell you the name of the UK edition of this book because it had the N-word in it. Oh, um, so, uh, so, which is the name of one of the stories. Uh, it's about Jim Crow and it's, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's harsh. But Southern Gothic story, uh, we'll get into some of the major themes and stuff in this story, which I really liked, but you did not like. But what is this story? What is good country people? What is Good Country People about? Because we're talking about psychological horror again, Medusa and the Shield. And what is this story kind of about? Uh, well, the narrator of the story kind of... It's a third-person story. Uh-huh. Um, the, uh, the focal character is Mrs. Hopewell, mm -hmm. um, at least at first. And she's this this sort of... I don't really know how to describe her. Kind of. She only speaks in platitudes. Yeah. Like she's nice. No. She's nice. 
No. But I mean, like, she's she's nice. She's not, like, thoughtful or she's, kind. She's nice. She's not kind, yeah. I wouldn't uh, really even say she's very good at being nice. <laughs> she's polite. <laughs> right. Uh, she just kind of wants everything to just kind of be the way she thinks things are supposed to be. Yeah. Um, yeah. And she has... You know, I thought Mrs. Freeman was going to be more than she was like more of an active character yeah because they spend so long talking about her right uh, she's a fascinating person mm-hmm. yeah because uh, mrs freeman and mrs freeman's husband are like the tenant farmers yeah yeah who live and on mrs. their land mrs freeman we only ever hear about mrs freeman from mrs hopewell's perspective like we don't ever get right. any of her own thoughts which makes me think that Mrs. Freeman is responding to Mrs. Hopewell's platitudes with platitudes of her own just because she doesn't want to be around this other woman. It's in, Well, if she doesn't want to be around the other woman, though, Mrs. Freeman also just shows up all the time. Yeah, it's... And it's uninvited and just sort of stands around. It's like she... She doesn't actually want to be around this other woman, but she wants to keep, like, the land or whatever. Yeah, it's hard to say. She's... So uh, Mrs. Hopewell owns a farm and mm. they have tenant farmers they rent it out to the Freemans who were who came highly unrecommended. Yep. <laughs> Mrs. But were Freeman, the like, only for, the only applicants, I believe. And Mrs. But they specifically were like previous farmers were just a uh, farm owners were like we do not like Mrs. Freeman. No, no, nothing she's done really. We just don't like this woman. You will not like her. <laughs> And Mrs. Hopewell's like, well, I don't have much of a choice. But what's interesting is like the the psychological games. Because mm-hmm. she's like, one thing Mrs. Hopewell is good at doing is taking perceived flaws in a person and turning them to her advantage. Yeah. Which I find like a, fa- that's a fascinating character to me is this sort of very nice woman who just doesn't, nobody gets to her because she's like, fine, you're going to be this way. Well, I'll play that aspect mm-hmm. of your personality to against you like so that doesn't matter yeah it's a it's a weird story mm-hmm. um but mrs freeman free nope mrs hopewell has uh this daughter named holga whose name she's exclusively referred to as joy for the first like half of this story then you find right. out she changed her name and holga is 17 uh, no. Yes. Holga is 32. 32. Why does it she's say She's in 17? her 30s. Where did I read nope. 17? She says she's 17 oh, okay. to the guy. No, right. she is She is 32. a 32-year-old right. woman. With a, yeah. In yeah. Philosophy. She has a doctoral degree in, in, in philosophy. Mm-hmm. Um, um, she's sick with something. Mm-hmm. Uh, heart problems or something. Uh, right, she has like a, a, a yeah a heart defect. She's supposedly not going to live beyond forty five, I think. Um, yeah. And when she was ten, she got her leg shot off in a hunting accident. Which is the wildest, like, and they they don't ever explain it. They're like, yep. she got her, she lost a leg, shot off in a hunting accident. The end. And you're like, I okay, I guess we'll just accept it that that happened. Yeah. Uh, and then she apparently went away to school. 
got a degree in philosophy. So she's smart. Like she mm-hmm. is super smart. But she's especially also, for this town. She's also incredibly alone. <laughs> yeah. Because she pushes and, everyone away. Yes, she's described as hulking. She's mm-hmm. described as hulking quite a few times in this story. Uh she's big. Like she's not like 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 she's just a big person. She's tall yeah. and imposing and uh deliberately unpleasant. Yes. Yeah. Probably uh, to counteract her mom. Probably. And well, so I want to talk a little bit about that because there is a there's a an essay by Monica Carol Miller from Middle Georgia State University. And Monica Carol Miller is kind of a Flannery O'Connor kind of a Flannery O'Connor expert and kind of a a Southern Gothic expert. Mm-hmm. Uh, but she wrote this this uh, essay called uh, I'm No Swan, The Ugly Plot from Good Country People to Eating the Cheshire Cat, which is a, a more recent novel. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and basically she talks about something called The Ugly Plot, which is uh, an old story technique, but it's very, very used in Southern writing, specifically Southern Gothic writing, mm-hmm. which is... Based on the idea that there's two for women in in Southern writing, you have you have two two avenues to power by being beautiful and following all the rules of society and marrying a rich husband and sort of flexing your social power that way Mm -hmm. or something referred to as the ugly plot, which is where you make ugly meaning goes against the rules of society is rude, is, is indignant, uh, it doesn't, doesn't listen. Uh, when, when, a, when a person in the South says a person's being ugly, that's what that means. You're, being, mm-hmm. you're, being a, you're, you're not obeying. Uh, but also physically unattractive. So the, the, one of the ways you, you rebel against society is you can make yourself as ugly as possible that way you don't have to follow the rules. You don't have to get married. You don't have to be sweet. You don't have to say what people want you to say. Uh, mm-hmm. But in order to do that, you have to make yourself ugly. And uh, and that's it's, it's sort of a repeated uh, theme throughout Flannery O'Connor's work. But in a lot of Southern Gothic, there's the ugly character. Like, what is her deal? Like, why is she being this way? She's never going to get married this way. And you're like, right, because she doesn't want to. She doesn't yeah. want to follow your rules, but there's so few options. And because Holga is sick and also disabled, she's reliant on her mother for a lot of things. And mm-hmm. so she, I mean, because also it's the 50s, so she doesn't have, like, if this was 2023, she would have a lot of options available yeah. to her. Uh, but because of the to- of the era... She's kind of trapped, and so this is how she's, like, flexing her power is by mm-hmm. just, I'm going to be as unapproachable as possible. And you know what? I really like, I really like Joy Holga. I really like, she chose the name Holga because she knew people wouldn't like saying it. Like, yeah. what a flex. <laughs> I like her, too. I think she's a good character. She's um. a little, she does, okay, she does border, as we find out, on she's got her own weird like hang-ups and oh yeah she's she's planning on using sex as a weapon Mm -hmm. to 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 what she thinks will be like wreck a person uh uh uh, unfortunately she has she has she has issues unfortunately for her 
There's another character who enters the story who has even bigger issues, has even bigger identity issues, and is also planning on using their whatever to manipulate another. Like, she thinks... Holga is the most likable character in this story. Right, and... That's not saying much. But I really want to parallel her with our... The woman from last week's story. Okay. Uh, I can't think of her name. Uh, uh, she had an unusual Honorin. name as well. Honorin. Yes, Honorine. Yes, Honorine. Yeah. Who was also a woman in a very unfortunate situation? Who suddenly got this? Who got this? Like, figured out how to get power, and had it stripped away from her by a manipulative man. I think the difference between the two of them is that Honorine was, she didn't, like, seem to put other people down. (laughs) True. She was, uh, she was like a force of, of of good. Like, she was chaotic good. Uh, Like, and, and Honorine's attitude seemed to come from a place of actual like self-worth and confidence mm-hmm. holga's attitude seems to come from a place of self-loathing <laughs> yes and that's why i find these two stories so fascinating back to back uh 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 two ways in which i mean i would say that honorine also had a lot of self-loathing yeah but i think it's that... just that she managed to like work past it yeah with good friends with like, like and the the difference is that Honorine genuinely had a positive community in like right. the form of the the women who she visited. Um, I'm not gonna say her family because that's a complicated mess. Um, but she seemed to have actual people who were like genuine. I'm not even mm-hmm. gonna say genuinely nice. They were just genuine. Right, and. What the, what's fascinating about that is I would say that Honorine was in a, and I hate to compare, but I would say she was in a worse situation mm-hmm. because every day she was, like, horribly abused by her father. Yeah. Uh, I think she that... was in a worse, but felt like Hulga is more trapped. Yeah. I don't know. Honorine was pretty trapped. <laughs> She was pretty trapped too, but obviously Honorine found a way to get out. Yeah. Like Holga Honorine had the ability to experience society outside of the household. Mm-hmm. Where it seems like here in this story, it doesn't matter where she goes, everybody acts this way. Right. And clearly Holga has had experience she's gone to school she's gone to a phd program like she She, she's been out she wants to be out but Mm -hmm. she's sick right and she also considers herself way above everybody else and i'm not saying that in like a judgy way like oh she thinks she's so much better she is so much smarter than everyone but it sort of affects her brain in such a way that she just has contempt for everybody. And I don't blame her. Like, I don't blame her for feeling that way because she's just, she's because she's stuck, but she expresses it in a unconstructive way. Yeah. It's just, 
this this story is complicated because I don't like anyone in it. Right. It's hard. Uh, and yeah, I feel, it, it is difficult if you don't for, like people. I feel for the characters, well, most of the characters. I feel for her. I do think... I think that this story says a lot about attitudes around sex and uh, societal norms. I just... I. I have a really hard time reading about this sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. Specifically, the part where she suddenly like realizes that she's completely powerless against this guy. Like yeah. I, that's pretty high, like low on my. I'm willing to read this. <laughs> yeah. So um, what happens is a Bible salesman shows up, and. Flannery O'Connor does a really good job on a first read of making this guy seem like like goofy McGoofball who just goofed off the goof truck. Like he's this aw shucks, super religious, skinny kid who's like, well, I'm just selling Bibles door to door and yeehaw and Jesus. And he's so annoying but they can't like the mom is just like well come on in have dinner with us and i almost called her honorine (laughs) holga is taken by this hayseed who she concocts a plan to essentially like seduce and destroy this young man she wants to like go out with him but also like you can tell that he seems attracted to her and there's an attention she finds him fascinating because he's so seemingly backwards and has this like strong religion and she's a a, a devout atheist and doesn't like believe in anything she wants from what i got from it it was like she wanted to seduce him in order to make him more like her yeah because she's she thinks she's a nihilist mhm and that's a big clue right there is she thinks she's a nihilist. She thinks nothing has any, like nothing is worth anything. She thinks nothing matters. Yeah. She thinks she thinks nothing matters, is it? What happens, though, is that at the end of the story, she encounters an actual nihilist, mm-hmm. an actual sociopath. Who doesn't believe anything matters. And because that's what it is. Is he is actually a... Oh God, would you even say he's a con artist? He's like a he's soulless... A weirdo. <laughs> like, they... She ends up thinking she's lured him into the barn. And she's gonna, like... Bangarang with this guy. They get up to the hayloft... And he opens his Bible and he's got like condoms and booze. And that's when he just like completely jokers out on her. And he's like, Mm -hmm. oh, no, I wasn't. I'm not this at all. I am actually a sociopath. And I thought he was going to kill her. Instead, his whole thing is just to humiliate her. And steal her artificial leg. Yeah. He, he like, takes he, the leg. Mm, he's stolen, what, somebody's eye? Yeah. He's basically Rocket Raccoon, only it's not funny. 
he steals like prosthetics from vulnerable people mm-hmm. and leaves like that's it he just leaves yeah. uh it's almost like flannery o'connor knew this is actually worse than if i had him do something obvious like there's something so much grosser about how he knows how to hurt somebody and he was definitely planning on sleeping with her though well, because of the condoms and stuff. Yeah. But he hightails it out of there. After she gets pissed off. Right. He, there's a there's a script he wants her to follow. Like, it gets into real serial killer-like territory. Yeah. There's a script he wants her to follow, but she doesn't. And, like, I could almost see a sequel to this story where she's, like, pursuing this guy. Like, like. I need to find this guy and like end his like reign of terror. Like, like this is almost like the prologue to a to a like a detective story because this is like her like traumatic past. Like what happened with this guy? But yeah, he hightails it out of there, and the mom the mom doesn't see it happen, but the uh, what Mrs. Freeman sees him like leaving the forest, and she's mm-hmm. like, oh, he must have been preaching. Like proselytizing to like the black people who live beyond the forest, and what we're left with is there when that happened. She's the one who said. Oh, what did? Oh, she's the one who saw it. Okay, I thought it was Mrs. Freeman. Mrs. Freeman is the one who says, "Uh, some can't be that evil. I know I or some some can't be that simple. I know I never could." A really enigmatic line, like some can't be that simple, and it's like all the analyses of this story are like, what? What? Who is she referring to? Is she referring to the situation, to Holga not being that simple, to, like, what is she referring to? Speaking of Mrs. Freeman, nobody calls Holga Holga because they all hate the name, or they think it's weird. They all they continue calling her Joy, except Mrs. Freeman, who suddenly starts calling Holga Holga, and Holga hates it. Because Mrs. Freeman manages to say it in such a way that Joy feels like Holga feels like Mrs. Freeman has figured something out about her or sees mm-hmm. through her in some way. Because uh, Mi- Mrs. Freeman also likes her leg. Yeah. There's a manipulation happening between Mrs. Freeman and Mrs. Hopewell mm-hmm. that is parallel to uh, our, our Bible boy, uh, Manly Pointer. And Holga. And these names are so transparent. Like, Mrs. Hopewell. Yep. Mrs. Mrs. Freeman. Uh, Manly Pointer, which everyone points out is he's manly and he has a penis. Yep. Like, that is literally his name. Is like, uh, his, may- his name may have well have been like Guy Dickwell. Like, it's just, which isn't his name. Like, that's a fake name. He's, everything is made up. Uh, I can't remember oh, yeah, what, and Mrs. What, uh, what genre of uh, literary whatever it's this is. But there's a thing, a specific, like, thing that uh, writers, some writers do where they just name characters. Yeah, good like, like this. I can't remember yeah. which specific artist we covered in my class that did that, but... But yeah, that sort of allegorical, mm-hmm. like you get it. Like, we're not trying to be subtle here. Like, ev- like, like, like Joe Everyman, 
And, uh, but we didn't mention that Mrs. Freeman has two daughters, uh, Glenice and Cara May. Uh, Cara May is 15-year-old, married and pregnant. Mm-hmm. And Glenice is unmarried but popular with the boys and uh and has already already has a proposal she's 18 and i appreciate flannery o'connor including these like just they're, they're only mentioned but i we get to see that as unhappy as she is holga is still in a better position in society than mm-hmm. Karame and glenice are like she still has some options uh as 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 down on herself as she is, they have money. They are landowners. And the Freemans are not and will not be uh, yeah. landowners. We don't know anything about Mr. Freeman, really, uh, because the men in this story don't matter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, except for Manly Pointer, who is a chameleon yeah. and doesn't believe in anything. Uh, yeah, because uh, they, they you kind of have to read a little bit into it unless you just sort of know about this kind of stuff. But many of the philosophers that Holga quotes and she quotes, she's one of those people who will like quote things just to confuse people mm-hmm. who haven't read stuff and like just get out of uh, out of the room, which is kind of, you know, a, a good tactic. But she'll quote philosophers. Almost all the philosophers she quotes are religious philosophers. There's this mm-hmm. thing where it's like, She's an atheist and a nihilist, except that the philosophers she seems to read are all people who their philosophies fall apart without a belief in God. Like it's little hints like that. Flannery O'Connor, by the way, huge Catholic, like very religious woman, uh, but who was constantly exploring like the limits and the and the uh, like the the problems with religious societies like but who also was very religious herself so there was this push and pull there between her beliefs and her writing uh uh but yeah uh hulk is a complex character who chose her own name and 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 it's interesting that you know you also have you can also in the, you know in a modern analysis see her as like a character you're 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 exploring ideas of identity and self-identity and i have i have chosen a new name for myself i choose to see myself this way and i want to present myself to society this way as opposed to someone like manly who is actively deceptive in the mm-hmm. way he presents himself like there's that if you want to read this as a as a as a uh uh, I don't want to say a trans narrative, but a a what uh, like a gender narrative almost. It's like there is a difference between deception and identity, uh, and this story splits that right down the middle and like shows you like uh, you know she is disrespected in the way she has chosen to see herself and and has asked to be identified versus versus the man who is literally trying to fool you into thinking he's something else Mm -hmm. and that's evil what she is is just sometimes annoying because she's just kind of an annoying person i think Uh, i think that she reads like a 17 year old oh yeah there's uh what's like a a serious case of arrested development going on yeah oh yeah no when she says i'm 17 i'm like yeah i have no trouble believing that Mm -hmm. Uh, what, what, what's your first, what's your hint? What's your clue? 
the way she uses philosophy hmm. it just it, to me it read like someone who like like a teenager who got really into philosophy and is just quoting things to their parents to get out of situations i worked with a guy at half rice books who like the first week he worked there i don't even remember his name but he said yeah i'm a bit of a philosophy buff and he was always like, "What? we get any new philosophy books in? I really like this philosopher. But doing it in that way, exactly mm-hmm. like you're describing. Like a very college freshman yeah. approach. The good news is, is that I never went through that phase because I don't like philosophy. <laughs> we had my yeah. freshman year in my, uh, in my, one of my classes, we had... Uh, it was like a intro class for the honors program. We had a bunch of like different people from different areas come in. We had one of the philosophy teachers come in, professors come in, and the first they were they were like, you know what would be a great thing to to bring into this class? We should talk about the philosophy of abortion. And I was like, great. I don't want. I'm not interested. <laughs> I'm not. I'm just not interested. <laughs> You've turned it's me interesting away from in- philosophy. Holga wears a sweatshirt that her mother hates this like mm-hmm. shapeless sweatshirt with like a picture on it that she thinks is hilarious that her mother is annoyed by apparently that's autobiographical uh flannery o'connor would do that her mother didn't understand her her mother didn't understand how intelligent flannery o'connor was also flannery o'connor lost the use of a leg mm-hmm. uh because of of lupus was it lupus that i said i think so yeah uh because of that, she was she lost the use of like. There's a lot of Flannery O'Connor in Holga. Uh, this perception of appearance, this perception of of uh, her body, her bodily autonomy, uh, and also in the way she, I think, approaches the small town. Like as critical as Flannery O'Connor is of Holga, I think she was also saying, "Yeah, I kind of would do this to the people." in my mm-hmm. town as well like just sort of i wanted to get rid of them so i'd throw words at them they couldn't understand uh it's hard to be super intelligent yeah and a woman and disabled and living in a small town in the south yeah uh, i mean I, I i i can see that i just this story was upsetting which yeah I and it's hard supposed to, be- to be but mm-hmm it was it was upsetting in the same way that Rosemary's Baby was upsetting to me the first time I watched it when I was younger. Yeah. Like, it just... I didn't leave this story feeling good or... <laughs> well, positive. going off of that then, uh, what are your thoughts about this as far as its place as a horror story? I think it has its place. Like, I think that it's it's definitely... Like, this is a story that should be read. Um, and I think that the way that it's it's put together, the way it's written, the characterization, I think, is all something that is really well done. I just don't like reading stories about sex. Understandable. Especially, I don't like reading stories about rape. Mm-hmm. Sex is fine. It's when it cro- it's when it it's when rape happens or attempted rape or potential rape or assault. I just don't like reading those stories. Understandable. <laughs> At least when it's done in such an overt way. Right. Yeah. And she is. 
she literally has part of her body taken away. Yeah. Like that's about as black and white as you can make it. Like I I will say I think I had a very similar reaction to Robert Aikman's The Swords as it is mentioned in the beginning of this uh story. I was going to say so uh The Dark Descent, which is what we're talking about by the way, Dark yeah. Descent. <laughs> Uh, uh, David G. Hartwell writes in his introduction to this story, a number of her stories are ble- of bleak black humor show horrific insight into human psychology, of which Good Country People is a prime example. He mentions humor, and there is like an irony throughout this whole yeah, story. She's, it says you can, she's an ironist. Yeah, you can tell that Flannery mm-hmm. O'Connor was like smiling behind her hand, like yeah. through most of this story. Uh, it forms an interesting couplet with Robert Aikman's The Swords as a story of sexual initiation dealing with body parts and shows the strength of the non-supernatural strain in American psychological horror fiction. Uh, how did you think it paralleled with The Swords? It was very... I can see the similarities or the non... I don't know how to describe it, really. It was. It definitely paired well, I think. Um, it mm. left me feeling very similarly, mm. um, because I don't know, both of those stories just upset me. <laughs> it's interesting that he uses the phrase sexual initiation because, uh, she is, she is definitely sexually inexperienced. Mm-hmm. I think she says she's um, never been kissed before when he kisses her. Right. That was the part that threw me off first. Like, that was the part that kind of made me feel icky first. The When he kisses her. Because, mm. mm. like, she's... She talks about how she was planning on seducing him. And... Then... Suddenly, like, he just... Kisses her. Just out of nowhere, it seems. Right. And I'm like, oh... Because they, they're talking about God. She says she doesn't believe in God. And then he says, that's very unusual for a girl. And then he, like, grabs and kisses her. Yeah. And I was like, wait, yeah. stop. And it um, says, the kiss, which had more pressure than feeling behind it. Right. He could, because he's a sociopath. Yeah. I just... I. But But even at that moment... You could be uh, f- forgiven for thinking this guy just didn't know how to kiss. Because uh, we're still at the part where you're like, how messed up is this? How messed up is this guy? Uh, I, I had bad vibes from him pretty much from the start. <laughs> what's interesting is once I once I knew how it ended and then I went back and reread it, it's very obvious. Like, it's she drops so many clues as to this guy's motivations. Yeah. Through everything she says about him and everything he says to them, well, as that I was as, like, like he, as soon as they were like Bible salesmen, I was like, okay, so this guy's just gonna say anything that he thinks that these people want to hear. That's just that's the lens that I was reading this through. But he doesn't. He's not pandering. He's annoying and unpleasant, and to such a degree that I was like. Well, this guy's got to be legit. Nobody would think this is, and they don't buy any Bibles. And he's like, I don't. I guess uh, I just I don't, because I guess, obviously his goal is not to sell yeah, Bibles. Yeah, I don't know. 
I just didn't, like, I kind of forgot about the Bibles, to be honest. Like, that wasn't, uh-huh. like, I just, I don't think he was actually sick. No, God, yeah, no, he knows, think... he clearly, he's clearly been, like, doing, yeah, because he gets the, he get he introduces himself, and he gets the mom's name wrong, her last name. Mm-hmm. He calls her Miss Cedars, because, like, that's the name on the outside of the house. But then when she introduces herself, a few lines later, he says, oh, yeah, I know this because I've been because the people in town said that about you. Mm-hmm. And you're like, oh, wait, he knows her name. Like, does he know her name? Is he li- like, what's going yeah. on? Oh, he obviously knows the entire story of these people. He's mm-hmm. been asking around town. He's he's a sociopath. He's gotten all their information so that he can pull off this scam. Yeah. It's uh so no he's not sick he's a he's no. a he's a scam artist. It's just I don't know I just I didn't he just gave me bad bad vibes from the start, so that's kind of mm-hmm. just the lens I was reading it through. Yeah, uh, uh, an upsetting, upsetting and unsettling story. I have a feeling that we're like barreling towards the end of the Medusa in the shield. We're barreling mm-hmm. towards the end of like the real, like messed up psychological horror. So I feel like he's backloading a lot of this with, mm-hmm. he's saving some of the more like, m- like upsetting stuff for the end here. We only have two more stories left. Maybe uh, the after issue this one with this story is it's too real. Hmm. <laughs> Yeah. Like, yeah. I... I've had my experience with men. Mm-hmm. It's too real. Too real. And I don't want that in my stories. <laughs> well, then let's hurry up and get through the psychological section of The Dark Descent. Yeah. Uh, and speaking of barreling through this... What is our next story? Uh, Macintosh Willie by Ramsey Campbell. We haven't read Ramsey Campbell. Uh, Ramsey Campbell, who is still, I believe, alive. Um, hey, this is another sword that's a uh, another sword, another story that's being compared to Robert Aikman's The Swords. It is. Yeah. Well, bully for us. Uh, Ramsey Campbell's still alive, seventy-seven years old. He pops up every now and then on Reddit. Uh, in the horror lit community, he'll he'll if someone talks about Ramsey Campbell, he'll sometimes jump in and be like, "Hey, you're talking about one of my stories," mm-hmm. or I guess he'd be like, "Hello, you're talking about." He's British. Uh, <laughs> he's from Liverpool. Hello, you're talking about one of my stories. <laughs> I'm Ramsey Campbell. I'm from Liverpool. I hope he uh, never hears this. Oh, he'll listen, and I'm gonna talk like a Liverpudlian all through next week's episode no just you're in not case Ram- you want to know you want to know why you're not because i won't be there if you do <laughs> what if ramsey campbell listens to it and he's like oh, oh, oh. i sure do like listening to people do funny liverpool accents i don't I even don't. know what he sounds like anymore he is 77 <laughs> years old for all i know he was born in liverpool moved somewhere else it doesn't sound at all like a liverpudlian uh ramsey campbell was written yeah i love ramsey campbell started out as a student of in the H.P. Lovecraft school, immediately moved over to like many different wild things. I think I've still read writing, one of his still publishing. Before. What'd you say? I think I've read one of his stories before. The name is familiar. You probably, 
you've read so many collections of short stories you most likely have yeah and i pro- um, probably i probably did last last year in my class because okay like, <laughs> quite a few of the people in there were horror nuts and we we shared short stories and stuff so yeah I mean, his most recent novel was just published, and his mm-hmm. first novel uh, was like 35 novels ago. So <laughs> we love ourselves some Ramsey Campbell. So next time, oh, what is it called? What is the name of the story? I already said what it was called. What? Macintosh Willie. Macintosh Willie. Everybody, get your Macintoshes out. Everybody, get your Willies out. Don't. We're gonna don't, be. Don't. Just don't say that. <laughs> I prefer a. This is a child-friendly podcast. This is. I can't think of any other kinds of apples. Uh, Uh, What's another kind of? I prefer a sweet tango, Willie. Nope. (laughs) Is that better? No. Until next time, when we take a big bite out of that Macintosh, Willie. Stop. Macintoshes aren't even popular apples anymore. Like I don't even. I don't. I, I don't remember word. the last time I even heard someone say Macintosh Apple. Like never. Because that's why Macintosh computers and Apple computers. That's where the name comes. In any case. Until next time, when we explore the the solid work of Ramsey Campbell. I am Phil. And I'm Willow. And we'll see you when it's, it's Del Toro, Del Toro time. time. <laughs>